I'm Duncan McLeod, editor of techcentral.co.za. This is episode two of a brand new podcast called Everything PC. And my co-collaborator in this production is none other than Gerard Pretorius. Gerard, uh, good to see you again. Welcome. Good to be back. Great. So uh, as we mentioned in episode one, and by the way, if you have not checked it out yet, I strongly recommend you go back and uh, either watch or listen to episode one, uh, because this is the second part of a two-part episode where we are looking at the company Advanced Micro Devices, AMD, uh, which is, of course, a big uh, silicon uh, company based out of, um, where they're based out? Silicon Valley, of course. Uh, they're near Intel. Yes. Uh, Santa Clara, I think. So just around the corner from Intel. Uh, and founded about the same time, I think maybe nine months after Intel, AMD uh, pitched up on the scene. And uh, we, 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 we chatted a bit about uh, why the company is doing so well in episode one of this, uh, this podcast, which we've called Risen from the Dead. Uh, I think anyone who knows AMD's products will get the pun there. Um, but Gerard, uh, yeah, we, we've covered some of the ground, but uh, there's still quite a bit of ground to cover, which we're going to do in this episode. In fact, this whole first season of Everything PC, we're going to have quite a, a silicon bias. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the big companies in this space and, and what they're doing. So once we've completed this episode today and episode three next week, we'll be having a look at, at Intel and, um, and, and delving into... Um, why they're not doing as well as they used to, what, what exactly they've done wrong over the last little while, and uh, unpacking uh, what they need to do to get back on track. And, and Gerard's going to go into a lot of detail on, on Intel and, uh, and, and talk about some of the, the challenges they're facing. We're also going to look at other companies in the sector, including NVIDIA, the chip uh, graphics card giant, which has, of course, now embraced uh, all sorts of other areas in the data center and in fields from artificial intelligence to machine learning and, and, and other applications. Fascinating company that, of course, tried to buy uh, ARM last year and was ultimately unsuccessful under regulatory pressure. And who else are we looking at? I haven't even got the dock up in front of me, Gerard. We're going to look at... Um, we're going to look Apple. At, we're going to look at Apple, of course. Apple is, uh, has become yeah. a, a significant... Uh, recently become a significant player with its own yes. Apple Silicon and its M1 chips and the rumored M2 chips uh, coming out soon. I was listening to a podcast with Bloomberg reporter Mark Gurman last night, actually, and he was he was saying that we could see the M2 chips as, as early as June this year and that the Mac Pro, which is the only um, Apple computer that hasn't been transitioned across to Apple Silicon, could, in fact, debut with a processor called the M2 Extreme. So looking forward to seeing what the details of that are, especially after they announced the, uh, the, um, the studio, the M1 Studio, or the Mac Studio, yeah. rather, a week or two ago, uh, which was an impressive-looking piece of kit. Um, but let's not let's not get into a discussion about Apple because we are, yes. of course, here to talk today about AMD. And um, and uh, I wanted to get this podcast going, uh, Gerard, maybe just by having a little look at the history of AMD. They they have been around uh, for an extraordinary amount of time. They were, as I mentioned, they were founded just after Intel back in 19. 19- 69 by a guy called Jerry Sanders, uh, who, if you go and look it up, look him up on Wikipedia, looks remarkably like the Colonel Sanders from KFC. <laughs> similar sort of uh, similar look to him, but I don't believe he's any relation to uh, to no. Colonel Sanders. Um, and it was, of course, a spin-off, just like Intel was, from a company called Fairchild Semiconductor, which is one of the pioneering companies in Silicon Valley, yes. uh, one of the original companies uh, uh, that. Um, that, that really pioneered uh, the space. And, uh, of course, Gordon Moore and, and others went off to start Intel. And yeah. um, Jerry Sanders and others uh, left uh, Fairchild Semiconductor to start AMD a few months later. And uh, the company has, 
I don't know, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but have they always been kind of seen as a little bit of a poor second cousin to Intel? It depends. In, in the beginning, they were just good at making clones. Right. So they, they first, I would say, first aim was basically make more chips for Intel because Intel couldn't at those beginning times manufacture enough chips. That's why you, in the old days, you had what, Motorola was there, you had Mitsubishi making stuff, oh, yes. you had AMD making clones, you had the Russians do their own clones, and then AMD also had memory controllers, which was, which was a big part of their company, yeah. making highly accurate memory controllers and cheap ones as well yeah, yeah. that they could push it. That's why you could see in the early days of Apple, all the big brand, Dell, HP those days, when we started moving away from IBM, even IBM used some of AMD's memory controllers. Mm -hmm. And then you could, in those days you could see Intel chip with an AMD memory controller with Motorola on it and like all the companies all together in one board. Right. <laughs> now it doesn't exist at all. Okay. <laughs> it's just like doof, doof, here's two companies and that's it. Everyone yeah. is dead basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And I, I had a look at the history of this company and, and um, uh, they started actually in, their first product was released in 1970. It was something called, a, uh, it was a four-bit Something called an MSI shift register. I don't even know what that is, but that was yes. that was their first. Do you know what it, what an MSI shift register is? Well, registers is basically like a how memory is stored and allocated mm -hmm. and get. That's it. That's okay. all the basic functions that that does. Okay. So, okay, that's where they start. That's where they started. Right. And then a year later, they entered the RAM chip market for the first time. And uh, mm. in uh, 1977, they were bought or they uh, they sold a large chunk of themselves to Germany Siemens um, and in 1978 their revenue topped $100 million for the first time and a year after that in 1979 they listed on the New York Stock Exchange and that was the first year that they built a fabrication plant which was in Austin, Texas and today they don't have any yeah. fabrication plants do they? No, that's all been sold to now global foundries but that's all who owns them again? I think it's I'm not sure. Uh, global foundries are they not owned by themselves? Yeah, it's well, it's global foundries, but they were bought by someone else, giving that name. I so see. I think okay. it's an Arabic company or something like that that bought them. Okay, because that's what they majority shared owned of global foundries is a Arabic country, right? That, well, I th UAE country or something like that. I think owns them. Could be. Could be. But yeah, there's. Right, so, uh, so yeah, so, that's well. The whole story yeah. with the selling that off is something what we talked about in the first episode. Yeah. It's basically they had to sell that off due to in the bad yeah. days. So, and which has actually given them an good. advantage now. Yes, so we now still talking about the building up, and then we can then talk about that through their history as of well, course. because that's yeah. also part of the history. Yeah, and you mentioned Intel. Um, so they re they reached a they reached an agreement with Intel uh, in the early nineteen eighties to start making x86 chips uh, and that included uh, and I'm referencing the Wikipedia article here that included the 8086 the 80186 which I didn't even know existed and the 80286 and the 80386 I remember those machines um, are you old enough yeah. did you ever own one of these early Intel x86 no. machines no no that's that's before me oh that's what Again, I'm still in my 30s, so... Oh, right. young un. Okay. That's, yes, I'm going to show my age now because my first PC yes, no. was powered by an 8086 processor. Well, it, it had a green monitor. 
and it ran at 4.77 megahertz. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I thought, well, that's the proper, that was the proper Clone Wars. Mm. That was the early days. The Clone Wars started there badly. Yeah. You had the Amigas and all, uh, you still had IBM there as well. Amiga was there. What's the other? Sinclair was there. Um, who was the other big? Because that's Compact. be funny enough. A Compact was mm. there as well. So basically, birthplace of HP and Dell. Yeah, yeah. Started from there. Clones, yeah. IBM clones, um, and and of course AMD went on to make clone chips. Effectively, um, Intel yes. Intel x86 chips, uh, obviously licensed the designs from from Intel. Yes. And and uh, went on to build a successful business in in in, uh, in those processes, and those yeah, were the early well, days. It was a really exciting time. The, the chips were advancing yeah. at a heck of a rate. I, I personally oh, yes, no. personally went from a from an eight zero eight six to a two eighty six to a three eighty six. I think I think the processor name was a three eight six DX forty that I had, For, and I was yeah. amazed at how fast it was when I first got this machine. Today, yes, Anna, they, innovation there was rapid and quick and yeah. merciless as well. It it's was. Like, Buy a new PC, not like oh, do an upgrade, take your chip out. And, no, yeah, yeah, merciless new chip, new board, new everything. Yeah, absolutely. And then the four eight six. Then there was the four eight six. Yeah, I had the four eight six DX two sixty six. I don't know. How I can remember all these names. Um, and uh, and then the Pentium came along, and and uh, of course all those names are history now. Um, and the Pentium had a famous yeah. design flaw, a maths flaw, if I remember correctly. Oh yes, now that was a bit of a bumble. It was. It was indeed. That was. That was a, a lot of chips. That's now where you can see where AMD started. They kind of pioneering because yeah. AMD got so good at making clones. They made clones better than the originals. Yes. yes. So it's like, okay, uh, <laughs> they're making better chips than Intel come themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that basically leads off to now. And then we were getting, when they started. We were getting into the yeah, late, well, late 90s. And, and of course, Windows, yeah. what, Windows 95 had come out. Uh, and um, those Windows 95 machines were so terribly slow, as I can recall. The, it was a, I mean, you can run Windows 95 in a web browser now, but back then it would take, uh, on, on, on some good silicon, it would take half a minute, a minute to load Windows 95 yeah. from boot. Well, the, the problem is before that, you most of the stuff was stored all on RAM yes. or normal flash. Mm -hmm. And then when we started to do the, why well, do you say proper Windows eras, like a 95 and so forth? Mm -hmm. That's when we started using hard drives. And hard drives will always be slower than yeah. Flash. Yeah. So that's why you had a bit of a, like a kind of a, like a, a regression. Yeah. But the problem is you had way more storage and mm. everything was just easy to use and mm. the UI was better. And Absolutely. I mean, I remember my, so, I remember my 386 had a 40 megabyte hard drive. I, I didn't know how to fill it. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, no, that was, you could argue, what's that some of those futurologists there say, oh, no, you only need like a one gig hard drive or something, you'll never need more storage than that, like, eesh. Or Bill Gates, that who famously, or who's reported to famously to have said 640K ought to be enough for anyone talking about the amount of memory in a computer, although apparently that's apocryphal, apparently he didn't actually say that. Yes, no, no, it's like, it's like one of those things. Again, there was a couple of guys that said that. I know even Apple had some people like, oh, no, you'll never need more of this. And again, what they never is, is like, yeah, in what they see in six months. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, so the AMD went through an interesting period in the late 1990s and into the, into the, I think the sort of first half of the, of the new millennium when they introduced a series of chips. And these, I've got to refer to these, they had the names K5, K6, and then particularly I remember the Athlon processor, and they had something called the Sempron as well. 
Um, and they, they really actually took a lot of market share around the time from, from Intel. Is this before your time, Gerardo? Do you know what AMD was doing right around that time? That is now early days when I got into it. Okay. Because literally when I started basically with computers, that was when I was in like basically grade four, five, six. Okay. So this is now still when it was socketed CPUs. Basically, that's how old we're getting to where I started, basically. Okay. So with the now with the K-series chips, that was now the main first big push for AMD to make their own CPUs mm -hmm. from the ground up. Right. So now you've got a company that can actually from the ground up compete with Intel. And they a lot of the stuff they did steal from Intel in terms of ideas. Again, it's not like carbon copies, but you can see it's highly influenced. But, mm -hmm. but there's also then a lot of the ideas that they now learned from the, all the clones that they did. Yeah. They used all of those advanced techniques to actually make a chip better than Intel could. And that kind of was a big wake-up call for Intel to say, here's a company, a scruffy little company there with like half the amount of staff yeah. can make a chip better than you. And they were cheaper. Well, that's now, again, Intel was reliant on the IBM strategy. Like, you can make it expensive because where else are you going to buy it? Mm. <laughs> So you see, so Intel could be way cheaper because the markup there was like stupid. Like compared to what we now use to markups, they did markups there that would make most people now envious. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. stupid, like 80, 90% markups now, even on normal desktop compliant units, yeah, yeah, consumer yeah. units. Yeah. And then, and then so, Intel ro kind of rose again, didn't they, after that period that AMD had? AMD had that period of success with that, seri with that, that series of x86-based chips. Yeah, now with well, basically their first success with Athlon, Athlon 64, yeah. So the first single core to hit one gigahertz, right. then basically migrating to first deal core. So there was a lot of competition there as well, but you could see this is where we want to see the merger, the, the weird flux between Intel and then Intel playing dirty, making sure companies don't buy right. too much from AMD. So AMD rised a lot because they expected them to rise a lot more with yeah. money and so forth, yeah. but they got kind of underhanded by dirty tactics from intel right which they have been found guilty of yeah so it's not as if this is like always they've been fined and yeah. punished and i think the other i think the other one now has been thrown out and that court case has been in the courts for like 20 no it's almost like three years mm -hmm. in the european union so what was intel so, doing around this time was it pentium 2 pentium 3 pentium 4 was this the sort pentiums of, yeah that's the what's it what did they call them the halem series and so forth where <laughs> intel trying to do a mm. completely new architecture okay like a completely revolutionary and all those things and it flopped like a yeah that's i've i don't think intel's ever made a flop like that ever since maybe that. maybe the One itanium those, maybe the itanium process <laughs> that was a big well thing. i would say it's even worse than that oh, really because itanium at least had like use cases and you could see where it was going this was like it fundamentally did not even work yes like it worked but it was so crap like even yeah. the old intel stuff was better than it these were the still so the days of intel, this was still ia32 architectures right this is yes. before 64 now, this is now before we could before we get to the core architecture mm. well the 64 started because again now that's now where we get into AMD, hence why you've got anything that you program that says 64-bit says AMD 64-bit. I've always wondered about that. if you go in your current, that's now because it's AMD intellectual property and AMD gets paid for that intellectual property. So, so they pioneered 64-bit the, x86 chips, did they? Yes. So 
what AMD pioneered is they could get their 64-bit working in 32-bit as well. Uh -huh. So they could run 32 and 64-bit. Uh -huh. So that's why in Windows you see, you'll see one that says x86 and the other one just says program files. That one that says x86 is the old uh -huh. way of doing it. Okay. So that's where all programs go in to get used. Right. Stupid question. So, so, so a 64-bit processor shouldn't be referred to as an x86 processor. Well, they're all x86. That's the main how it's worked. But you right. get now 32-bit instructions and you get 64-bit instructions. Okay, okay. And now you can use it depending on your, your libraries because, again, a 32-bit, you're only limited to about 4 gigs, normally under 4 gigs of RAM that you can access at the time. Okay. Whereas with 64-bit, it's one stupid amount of fucking amount of memory that you can access for that program. Right, right. So AMD found a way how to get a processor to work with both. Yes. Because Intel had Itanium, yeah. which was either 32-bit or 64-bit. Yeah. You couldn't run both on that processor. Yeah. The processor had one thing and that's it, which is kind of a bit of a problem if you have a legacy software that you need to install on new machines and the new machine says, no, you have to rewrite your whole software mm. to get it working. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why Itanium completely flopped as well is not just that fact that it was it couldn't run 32-bit instructions at all okay okay so that's that's the first problem that itanium had and the second there was design problems with that so that's why now with you get x86 mm -hmm. which is owned by intel intel owns the instruction set for x86 okay but now intel intel licensed that to amd and then amd licensed back 64-bit version of x86 that was burn intel that was really burn intel well, it's one of those things where it's like, if AMD didn't do that, yeah. they wouldn't be around now. Oh, basically. right. Okay. It's, it's, that's how it's like the two companies are now interlocked with one another. So I've often... Neither one of them, none of them will kill one another. Joined at the hip. <laughs> well, it's even worse. It's like having your evil brother and sister next to you and you're like, okay, we yeah. need to work together. Otherwise, we'll burn both of us. But like, but like in Russia and the US and their nuclear weapons and mutually assured destruction, the first uh, nuke that someone fires, they're both yeah, destroyed. You can kind of say that. I would say it's probably a bit more respectable now. Yeah. But in the olden days, I think it was a bit more bullish for that because it's like Intel high ups that back then were not as friendly as they are now compared to... <laughs> <laughs> so so I've, I've heard of the IA64 architecture, Intel Architecture 64. How does that differ to AMD 64? Well, basically, that's just the implementation of 64. Okay. So AMD needs to license this, but I cannot make an exact copy. Right. Because then it's intellectual property problems. Okay. So it's just you need to license it that you can use some of it, but your implementation still needs to be different. Okay. Okay. So that's just the only main, main difference between that is just the way it, but they're basically how the, the same. function works and how the operating system interacts with the chip. But for all intents that's and purposes, as an end consumer, it's the same thing. For for our viewers and so forth, yeah, that's base level. You can get more complex, but honestly, that's more for the engineers and the mm. people that work for Intel, AMD, to really worry about. Right, right. So we've been using sixty-four bit chips for uh, going on twenty years now. Um, do we ever go to one twenty-eight bit or is sixty-four bit all we no. need to do? No, 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 no. I just, it's, this is one of those things where it's like, it, this is not in the days of 8-bit and what 2-bit mm. PCs and what, what's it? It was Sega and you had the Segas and so forth and then Nintendo's 32-bit and 64-bit yes. yes. and it's like, 
that that's pretty much because with 64 the amount of memory you can access at the same time mm -hmm. it's such a stupid multiplication that uh, yeah yeah. Maybe eventually in the future, but then we'll probably be long day by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, okay. That's that's how far in the future we'll have to go. It's right. like this now we're talking about comp quantum computers and mm. graphite computers that might change that completely, but mm. not this is not something we'll see in the next twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Now um Back in, um, I forget the date now. It was, uh, I think it was around two thousand five or two thousand six, somewhere, somewhere around there, mid two thousands, the mid noughties as they put it. Um, AMD bought a graphics chip company called ATI, uh, and we did touch on this briefly in the last, uh, um, in, the, in the first episode. Yes. I thought let's go into it in a little bit more detail. This was the early days of computer chips. Um, Nvidia was around then. I think they'd been founded in the late nineteen nineties or somewhere around there. Um, yes. they, they'd taken an early lead, if I'm not mistaken, in the graphics card market. There were other players in the space other than NVIDIA and ATI, but they seem to be, those two seem to be emerging as the, the two front runners. Um, I, I remember some of those ATI cards, and in fact, I may have even had one in my PC at one point. Yes, um, no, so so AM, AMD came along and they bought ATI. What was the, what was the thinking there? I mean, Intel wasn't producing, wasn't producing high-end graphics chips at all, and still don't, well, although they're planning to. Well, now that's, I think AMD played it smart because AMD kind of knew that eventually there's going to be a time where we're going to have mergers. Yeah. You're going to have AP, APIs, uh, APUs where you're going to have more than one thing on it. Mm -hmm. So it was because AMD didn't have enough staff like Intel did because Intel by that time was also humongous. The yeah. amount of people they had, the amount of talent they had, yeah. AMD couldn't compete with that type of thing. So the only way you can compete with that is just buy another company and kind of like do a shortcut. Right. So that's what the idea was behind getting ATI is so that they it's easier for them to compete with Intel when Intel goes into GPUs as well. Because there was a big thing of Intel actually going into the GPU market. Yes. Like a lot of people, I think even NVIDIA kind of feared that Intel would do that because if Intel went hardcore in the graphics by then, they could completely dominate the OEM market. Mm. Like all your laptops, pre-built machines, they would just zinger all of them. Right. So I think there was a bit of over-caution and just thinking, oh, Intel will do that. And then Intel did go into the graphics, but not to where ATI and AMD was at any concern because it's like, okay, they're not doing gaming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They literally just cannot run a display and that's basically the minimum requirements. Yeah, yeah. So what did they do it's, with that acquisition? I mean... ATI Technologies, uh, I'm just looking at their uh, page on Wikipedia. They were founded 37 years ago in 1985 as Array Technologies. Um, yeah. And ATI acquired them there. We go. It was in 2006. Um, and also f a fabulous company. So other people manufactured their chips for them. Yes. Um, with the decline, I'm reading well, here, with the decline and eventual bankruptcy of 3DFX. I'd forgotten about that company in 2000. Yes, ATI uh, and its well, chief rival NVIDIA emerged as the two dominant players in the graphics processor industry, eventually forcing other manufacturers into niche roles. So yeah, it, beca it really became those about those uh, two companies. But what happened to ATI after the acquisition? Because you can't buy an well, ATI Radeon graphics card anymore, can you? Well, they you do, do Vega. It, they do Vega graphics now. Well, it's Vega is just the name of it. They all called Radeon. The company. Oh, they still actual, call Radeon. Okay. Yeah, Radeon. So if you go to AMD, you'll see it's a Radeon graphics and so forth. So that's still ATI. Even if you look at the drivers, the drivers will still reference ATI. Okay. Because it is still that, it is still, they've now more, it's, you can see it's more of like 
in, even in those days, it was more of a merger, but then yeah. that merger became like a, a fusion where they just merged into one thing. Yeah. So you now just see them as AMD, like you would see Intel, but Intel had, you also have different divisions. So <laughs> they will just call those the Radeon divisions. And okay. I think you'll see them change it, but Radeon will basically be the name for you, that. You can tell because, how embedded I am in the world of, of NVIDIA that I don't even know that the Radeon brand is around anymore. Yeah. No, of course, they well, are, the RX 6000 series is... Uh, is, is to be a teaser there, mm-hmm. because the Wikipedia thing is leaving a lot of out. Okay. Because we'll talk more about this with when we do the NVIDIA podcast. Podcast, yeah. Yeah. The problem is NVIDIA was uh, kind of beating everyone with a stick. Okay. They were not pretty. They would literally steal your stuff and then sue you or you get, they will sue you and then they'll sue you for something else and then drive the company to bankruptcy and then buy them. It's the American way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. It's basically that's one of the companies that pioneered it. Yeah. Because okay. they did in the early days and they were ruthless. Yeah. Like even more ruthless than Intel. Mm-hmm. That's how bad NVIDIA was that. But we'll <laughs> take that when we get to the NVIDIA podcast. Because and the Intel podcast. They did uh, at the NVIDIA podcast because they were real bastards. Yeah. And that will lead to other things. But that's that's where, and that's now basically you could say it's kind of a good thing that AMD bought them. Mm-hmm. It was kind of bad then because it cost AMD a stupid amount of money that they could really have spent somewhere else if you just want to go on with CPUs. Yeah. But like this now, it means... ATI will always be there to compete against NVIDIA Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because NVIDIA was at the point where they would just kill everyone, make sure there's no competitors, which would be ultimately bad for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they're still in this business, the AMD Radeon uh, line of of graphics cards. Um, How how competitive are they relative to NVIDIA? I mean, the RX 6000 series, I've never played with one of these cards. Um, How how do they stack up to, say, an RTX 3080? Well, at the current, if you're looking at the AMD... 6000 series and NVIDIA 30 series, it's pretty much is it neck on neck now. Okay. So I've got this, I've got the 6900 XT on my machine. Okay. And again, I've had 3080s. I've not had a 3090 though, but I've had 3080s and so forth. And so far for my use case, which is predominantly gaming, gaming. so oh. far the 6900 did a bit better than the NVIDIA cards for me. Okay. That's interesting. I, yeah. Again, I've also had bad luck with NVIDIA. It's it's one of those things where normally when I get an NVIDIA card, I would get more faulty cards mm. and have more issues. Yeah, yeah. But at the moment, NVIDIA does dominate in terms of mindshare, yeah. which is like Apple type of mentality. Good at marketing. Where it depends because it's like, it's, again, we can get you that when we do the NVIDIA one because a lot of that marketing is also, uh, they do that ruthlessly mm. by, by paying companies to, make sure people in forums talk about NVIDIA and bash AMD. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> NVIDIA is the, like, <laughs> this is the company you follow if you want to see, oh, if you want to really dominate the company by just bashing your company, if you have a lot of money, you can pay anybody to do some nasty stuff to make you sure you win. <laughs> so aren't the CEOs of, wait a minute, aren't the CEOs of, of AMD and NVIDIA related to each other? Oh, probably cousins and so forth. I but think they are. Again, yeah. it's <laughs> it, it's normally I thought people was like Jensen isn't in the brief. The dude is not dumb. He has good. He was a good chip designer. Jensen, I don't know how much. Jensen Wong. This is the CEO of Nvidia. Yes. The guy who always I wears the leather bomber jackets. Jacket. Mm. Yes, leather, leather jacket and so forth. Mm-hmm. So the dude is smart. I would say 
he's probably more business smart than actual tech smart. Right. Because the dude knows how to run a company and how to get the marketing guys and the marketing guys he got to hire because he took a couple of guys from Intel as well. Yeah. Hence why they did all those dirty tricks and so forth. But it literally paid off. Yeah. They make a stupid amount of money and now they've got their own niches that both AMD and NVIDIA didn't really look at at all. So now that we're talking about GPUs, AMD is now catching up with AI, that type of... Even Intel is now looking at making chip GPU specifically for AI research and for that type of workloads. Yeah, yeah. So AMD already has a couple that compete and so forth, but AMD still needs to work on their software sides and so forth, making it easy for guys to implement it. And mm. there's a lot of stuff that just needs time. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can fix with money. Yeah, money helps, but money doesn't buy you time. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I wanted to get a, a picture of. Um of Jensen Wong up on the screen, but I'm I'm struggling here. Uh, oh, there we go. Um, no, it's not working. I'll, I'll I'll get it up as we carry on on chatting. Mm. Um, so uh, interesting um, history for AMD, and uh, and of course they are they're very competitive, as you mentioned in the first episode last week with Intel now, and in, and in some yeah. respects they've overtaken Intel in in some of their chip designs and and what what they're doing. I don't want to rehash what we yeah. did in the first episode, but just very briefly. Um, why is AMD doing so so well in 2022 relative to relative to Intel? Well, basically, it's making a good architecture, mm-hmm. so out engineering your company and then just changing the game. Yeah. So going from the traditional way we think of making chips and all those things, changing that completely and and using that to their advantage and pushing their advantage hardcore, yeah. like Intel did in the in their days when they had the first. Um, what's it now, core architectures and so forth, which were brilliant. Mm. Like, and when you push your advantage and you push it, go for it. Like, and, and that's where AMD's now rocketed all the way up and used more and more advantages. And that now leads up where AMD's board got more higher engineers and better engineers. And and again, all credit to Lisa Su for her vision in saying, here's the company, what do we need to do in the future? Because whatever do you, you do now, Whatever product you're launching this year is a product that you designed and started thinking about almost five years ago. Yes. So yes. getting that right where you can think five years in the future from now, that pays off. So that's how AMD One is just doing the old school elbow grease and hard work and it paid off handsomely now. Yeah, yeah. I'm still struggling to get these pictures on the screen. There we go. If I hit that button, we should... Uh... We should it should come up. There we go. So that's Jensen, Jensen Wang on the left in his uh, trademark uh, leather jacket, CEO of Nvidia, and on the right, it's Lisa. What's his name? Sue. Lisa Sue. Yeah. And she is the uh, CEO of uh, AMD, um, and uh, apparently they are they are related. I'm just looking at a, a fact check here. Um, not technically uncle, but uh, still related. Uh, yeah. Lisa Sue's own grandfather is actually Yen Yen Sun. Huang's uncle, although they aren't really niece and uncles, they are very close relatives. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, um, but yeah, she comes from IBM. She's an old school chip designer, so okay. she is. She knows the chip stuff. She, funny enough, she was one of the engineers working on the cell processor that was used in the PlayStation. Oh and yes. IBM's big, their big data center processor. She was one of the architects behind it okay very smart lady so as, as is she is oh, oh no yeah. <laughs> uh, she's smart that's that's one thing i'll give her she 
she can literally debate with chip designers right. when they make a chip. Okay. She can sit there and say, oh, okay, she knows what you're talking about. Yeah. She's not like a n- normal CEO that's like, oh, I don't know. She can, she can sit with engineers and make a chip. Yeah. Yeah, it's Which is an advantage. It's interesting, actually, what you mentioned about CEOs, and a bit, perhaps a bit, bit of a, a side discussion here, but um, certainly in this space, and it's, it's probably true across the tech industry in the US in particular, but um, the founder CEOs of these companies, uh, compared to markets like South Africa, which I guess are, are reseller markets uh, in, in tech, yes. uh, you, you very often find the, they are led by the most incredibly talented engineers uh, who, um, who, who, who know the absolute intricate detail of everything about the product strategy. You don't, um, you don't find that often in, in many industries. I mean, often you find the CEO of a company is an accountant, is CA or, or similar, or someone with an MBA uh, running the company. I mean, uh, uh, Tim Cook is an example at Apple. He's not a technologist. He's not an engineer. He's got great engineers yeah. working for him. Um, but in m- many cases in Silicon Valley, and particularly in this space, um, it seems that in, in the Silicon space, it seems that it's it's an advantage uh, where your CEO actually has a, an intimate knowledge of what's happening. I well, mean, you, we saw it at Intel, for example, and we've seen Pat Gelsinger returning to the company. He is a through and through engineer. He understands exactly what the product strategy is. Yeah. So I would say for big companies like that that need to work far in the future. Yeah. You need to have someone there as a CEO that can say, what are we doing? Where are we going? Yeah. And understand what are the problems. Otherwise, the engineers so will it, BS you. Well, the problem is that like, engineers are not social creatures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Normal engineers are people that sit back. They but more. You need to get it out of them. Yeah. So you need to kind of be able to talk their language and understand what matters and yeah. understand the problems they have. So yeah. if, yeah. if, and they need engineers need to have the feeling where they can walk up to the CEO and say, we have this and this and this problem. Yeah. And the CEO can say, okay, how can we fix this? Yeah. And start with fixing. That's why it's also quite interesting that a lot of engineers that are a bit more social become CEOs so easily right. is because they are very good at looking at big pictures yes and then snipping out all the important bits and then going into extreme detail with it because that's what engineers also do is they solve problems yes they look at a problem here's the one massive problem and they break the big problem to small problems and then basically try and fix all those small little problems and that's what the ceo also needs to do yeah in this space it's literally it's well in any in my opinion any business it's well, like if, you're selling CEO, baked, if you're selling baked beans, uh, I mean, if you're, if, well, if, 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 if you're Tiger Brands, yeah. do you really need a CEO who understands Well, farming? you need to know. Well, the problem is that you should. If yeah. you really want to be really great at mm. your thing, you should be able to know how does the can work? How does the can manufacture? Can you make, can, if it, can you make the can even better? Can yeah. you make them lighter being with the same strength? Yeah. As a proper CEO, you need to look at everything and break it down. That's why Steve Jobs was very good at that. Yes. Even though he wasn't engineer, mm. but you could see that little cog and little mouse running there in his head, thinking mm-hmm. of how can he get his engineers to make stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not a engineer style like that, like like you will see now with Intel and AMD and Nvidia and so forth, they yeah. have that. Effect. If you have a, a CEO in charge that actually looks at the problems, thinks every day he thinks, how can I make this better? Mm. How can I interact with this better? How can I make that better? And that's why, in some point, you could see a bit of Apple mm. like, falling a bit back because, like, how many things can you call now that Intel has that Apple has changed in the past 
five years. Yeah. It's revolutionary compared to what he did. Mm. Because he went and said, sweet, we did. He did all the different machines and how you interface with it. He yeah. was big behind making different UIs. Yeah. Yeah. So he, again, Jobs was his own little <laughs> but the dude <laughs> knew what he was doing and he was arrogant enough to say, go for it. Yeah. Which you give him credit with, but again, to say he was a, he was a yeah, no, no. There's he no was. likely about that as well. <laughs> but no, he used to chew out. Uh, he used to chew out employees in the elevator. He, well, it's legendary. I, I, the problem is, it's it's very similar to because Gates also did this. He did. Yeah. In those days, it was very shouty. Yeah. Because there was a little of like, you need to defend your point to the death. Basically, yeah. difficult it to was, get away with that today. Actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's now we a bit more nicer in the culture, mm. which is fine because some people don't. You can still get good people to do astonishing things if you yeah. don't be a like that. Yeah. But in those days, that was the kind of mentality where it was a bit of a shouting match. And then Jobs, the problem with Jobs was basically he went a bit too, sometimes he would take stuff too personally. Gates yes. was very good at taking the shouting match. And you can see that in top levels of Microsoft. Then mm. They could take the shouting match and when mm. it was done, it was done. And yeah. Nothing was too personal. It wasn't mm. like you were attacking me personally. You were attacking your idea. Your idea is crappy. But your idea is not you. Mm. Your idea is just what you thought of and doing. So mm. that's what that was about. So that's what now AMD made quite good there. Is Lisa Su could look at the problem because I think just before Lisa Su became the CEO, yeah. she was actually picked by what was the guy? Because basically AMD got so bad yeah. that the company kind of went into business rescue type of right. thing. Bankruptcy I, I don't think they would say I don't think they would say that, but yeah. they went into that. So then right. they got the guys I can't I can't remember what was his name now. Can't help you I'm afraid. Was the CEO of AMD thing. Uh, We'd have to look it up. Um, but uh, yeah no she's been amazing. Was, she's been a CEO the CEO for quite some time now. Yeah Roy Reed. Roy Reed. Don't so even remember him. He was in place yeah. and he basically like read the whole company. Okay. And he was now a proper like CEO that you could say he's in there to see where the talent is and put the talent where it needs to be. So then that's why they got Jim Kelly back to main one of the big architectures behind AMD Zen and got all those people in place. And then Zen 1 came out, Zen 2 came out. And then you can see this AMD's tradition of iteration yeah. that was also now very different from where Intel was, where Intel was stagnating for a long time. Yeah. AMD, the Zen 1, Zen 2 is an iteration of that improvement with different architecture improvement. And you can see the complexity also ever increasing every time they make the newer chip. Mm -hmm. From this, we move and, and not just use the same thing and, then, and escalate the difficulty. And then that also helps you now with m making better chips and all those things. And then that now leads, now that AMD is in this position where they're starting to ramp up their difficulty. Now you need to say, sweet, what do we need to become more and more competitive with the difficulty scale going up? Mm -hmm. And that now, now leads to our Zyling's acquisition. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, we're not, not segue there. <laughs> so, yeah, so AMD has now, just completed this acquisition a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. 50 billion, that's with a B, five zero billion dollars. Um, a little bit bigger than the ATI acquisition of 2006. Um, and... 
it's really a merger, isn't it? I mean, it's a it's a stock yes. deal, uh, and it's a it's really a merger of equals. I I don't know much about Xilinx until we started talking about this podcast a few weeks ago. Um, obviously, heard the name, but it's not a it's not really a household name like AMD and Intel. No. Um, yeah, no. fifty billion dollars. This company's big. Uh, yes. Who are they? Not what really. do they do? And why has AMD bought them? Well, they're an American company, mm-hmm. and their main fray in the market is FPGAs. So they do other things, but for our audience, our main focus would be FPGAs. Now, what so, is an FPGA? Well, that's now a field programming array. So basically, the advantage with FPGAs is you can make them. Let's me let's use why FPGA, FPGAs have been useful in the space program. So, so you send a shuttle up into space or your rocket up into space and so forth. So now, what happens is your vehicle only has one processor. Mm-hmm. So the advantage now, what you can do with the field field program array is you can then change it as you go. Most chips, once you've made it, it's set in stone. You can't change the fundamental operating system of or operate how the thing actually functions. Right. So now with FPJ, so when you go into space and now it's in orbiting mode, it has a certain specific way how it does that. Then it goes into Lando mode. Then it literally changes the whole way the processor works and how it does that. Then it does that and it goes to Lando mode and now it's in, now if you say Rover mode. The Rover mode is, it re- completely <laughs> wipes the actual function of how the CPU works and changes it completely <laughs> to be a Rover now. Because in space, you don't have enough space to have multiple processors. So, Gerard, I think, I think you're going to have to take a, a step back. You've, you've lost me completely. Okay. So, so we're talking so, about field programmable arrays. Array, right? yeah. Uh, just, 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 just explain this in, 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 in language like a, so a dummy like me can well, understand. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to explain because it's, it's a difficult concept to get mm. across because it's literally the, pro, the, the field array can be programmed. Right. So literally how the actual transistors would functionally work and com- compute can mm. be changed. Okay. So, what I was trying to explain with, with that is, like NASA and so forth would have. There's only one processor on the, on the actual rocket that you send up. Mm-hmm. That's why most of those companies that use that is, military companies use FPGAs. You get, big, portion of it is for aeronautical and space and so forth, because it gives you that functionality where you can change the functionality of the chip as the mission progresses. Mm-hmm. Because normally you would say, for this stage you have, instead of having multiple different chips for each stage, you can have yeah. one chip do everything. Mm-hmm. And that chip, you can literally just kind of flash it to whatever mode you need it to be. Right. So that's the advanced thing, thing that you can do with that. So now for AMD, where FPJs are very important, is from what I understand now, most companies use FPGAs to test their CPUs and GPUs mm-hmm. before they get manufactured. Right. So you're literally emulating the whole way the chip gets, how the whole chip functions, so that you can have a very good idea of where are the problems and where are where can we do improvements and does it actually functionally work without mm-hmm. needing to make the chip first. You can literally... And you can even more advances. You can actually emulate parts of the chip. Even mm-hmm. you don't need to make the whole chip. You can emulate certain parts of the chip and say, "Oh, will this work? How, how will it work?" And then you can actually add stuff as you go. So that's why 
FPGAs are very expensive to manufacture mm-hmm. because it's difficult to have that functionality where you could reprogram the array the whole time. Yeah. And then basically, and then now the main fo- other focuses as you look through the site and so forth, they do a lot of like uh, networking stuff as well. Yeah. So you get dedicated FPGAs for networking. So stuff that is heavy bandwidth bound. So you'll see them in like supercomputers and so forth for how they can interface between actual SSDs, how you would contact with amount of networking data that comes in and so forth. So stuff that are massive bandwidth, which also then leads on to those type of advancements and innovations would lead kindly to stuff that AMD is trying to do with graphics cards because that's all bandwidth weight. Okay. CPUs as well. The more bandwidth you can give the CPU to interact with more things, the better. So that's where you can push that more advancement in. So I would say AMD bought the main reason why would AMD buy Xilinx is they were they are the pioneers in the like in their field compared mm-hmm. to most of the other companies. Mm-hmm. So now they have a company internally that they can use to test their own equipment. So they can literally say instead of because AMD did previously go to Xilinx to get their design for their chips to make right. them and all those things. So it's not as if they don't know who they are. Everyone knows them. Even NVIDIA uses them. <laughs> Everyone actually uses them. Interesting. Most people that actually, even if you make an ASIC, your ASICs get designed predominantly on a FPGA first. And then once you've got your FPGA, <laughs> oh, once you have your, your ASIC and so forth, then, then you can manufacture that. But you use these you make you use this you need to have this type of technology first before you can make the other ones much easier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting so 50 billion dollars to buy this company was it worth it do you think yeah does it change because the game for amd well in terms of well if you're looking at connection to connectivity yep. so gpus so basically IW, what we've seen now with apple the apple max with its controller where it can merge two chips together yeah. AMD's already done this with the instant cards. Apple's basically doing the same as what AMD's doing already. So okay. AMD's already launched their card last year. Apple's basically taking that. From the next-gen chips that are coming from AMD coming now, I tell people the complexity is way higher. Like, whatever you think of Apple now, you think this is advanced, this is like child's play compared to what AMD is trying to do with their next-gen stuff. Mm-hmm. We're talking mm-hmm. about chips that can talk to one another as if they are one big chip without mm. any penalties. That's what Apple's doing. I mean, is, that's what they've announced, yeah. Well, there is a penalty. That's yeah. the problem. They is there a penalty? penalty. Okay. Yeah, okay. They, they've admitted there is a penalty with it. Mm. So I thought it was like, it's the way they've done it is the easy way. Again, AMD's done also the same with their graphics card. That's why AMD knows the problems. Mm-hmm. Because the bigger the GPUs you make, and they're going to get just bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Same as Apple, they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But you need a company... Now, these are technologies based off from TSMC, mm. but they can only give you the groundwork. You yes. still need to do the work to get those things to connect and how it works and so forth. And that's where AMD is now trying to pioneer. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the areas where Xilinx is really good at, is yeah. heavy bandwidth, how to optimize. And then, again, you need a company to optimize your stuff because that's also one area where I think not a lot of people know them, but they are hyper good at efficiency. Mm-hmm. 
they can make a chip what they've got some of the fpgas that are like i think 50 watt or 60 watts you look give or take it'll probably be like close to 80 watts and that 80 watt chip for mining for certain applications with mining with certain currencies can mine as well as a 3090 at 75 watts versus a chip that's pushing close three 350 watts (laughs) (laughs) so the company is and I know a lot of people in the industry said, no, these guys know how to make something efficient, like mm. stupidly good at mm. efficiency, mm. because that's the main thing. They make FPGAs for military purposes and for space and so forth. And mm. then again, all of those applications need you to be as powerful as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and not just now, for science applications. I mean, the, and it's not just in, in countries like South Africa where there's a, where there's a power deficit, but no. there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a demand worldwide to reduce the footprint of, uh, of of your energy consumption because of the yeah well it's it's twofold mm. if the the less power you use the more power you can give it to do twice as much basically yeah so yeah. if you can get power down by thirty percent it means you can increase power and even get more performance yeah which is yeah. for hyperscalers and so forth that's area where yeah. they also in so the other advantages as well with Zilinx is Zilinx has a good media backbone so right. with capture cards and so forth. Quite uh, quite good bit of them are actually using <clears throat> Xilinx technology in them. Okay. Like most of the sports st- studios and so forth and racing, like F1 and all those things and so Interesting. forth. Interesting. Most of them AD. all run. Mm. Mm. They are big in that area, which is, again is a big advantage for AMD because basically I wouldn't be surprised in the next two generations that AMD will have a capture card built into the GPU. Wow. Because like... like Oh, it's easy. It's part of our company. We can just make a small chip, put it in the card, and there you go. Make a one HDMI port that can do both in and out, and then you've got a capture card built into your machine. Why do you need a capture card anymore? What does this so, acquisition mean for its for AMD's competitors, particularly NVIDIA and Intel? Well, NVIDIA has the Intel has their own company that they've right. already purchased, and so Intel has already been been using FPGAs for quite a while. And okay. so forth. Unfortunately, they haven't hit the market penetration like Xilinx has because, right. I don't know, Intel mismanagement. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know because it's like Xilinx basically just took it and just went because there's no mm. real other comp- big competitors in FPJ like mm. Xilinx. Mm-hmm. So that's, so Intel at least I think they're fine because again, they bought the FPJ company for themselves because they needed the tooling also to design their own chips because they're very secretive of Intel. They don't want to give you yeah. their own IP to that. For NVIDIA, on the other hand, basically NVIDIA has enough money to where they can get that skill set in and so forth, but it is a bit of a heavy disadvantage for them. Again, AMD, they're just getting more people in the AI field. They're getting more people in areas where they were lacking. So NVIDIA still has a lot of presence in AI, so I think they're pretty good there. In capture cards, they have a good encoder already. AMD might probably have a better encoder coming now, now with Xilinx acquisition. So I would assume the next-gen graphics cards from AMD coming out will probably have a capture card equally, if not better, than what NVIDIA has now. Interesting. So it's AMD just using Xilinx to cap up, to catch up in fields that they were lacking in. But then now using that as a more advantage of now AMD has advantage where they have a better team in terms of making their chips more efficient right. than yours, yeah. which is a bit of a problem for both Intel and NVIDIA because yeah. now it's like NVIDIA is like, uh, uh, okay, they, they're good at efficiency, but I think... I think the next cars launching end of this year, AMD is going to completely dominate power efficiency, both in CPUs and GPUs. Both Intel and NVIDIA are going to look really stupid. 
That's the Volepi the seven thousand series from from AMD. Radeon yeah, it's not going to be. That's going to be. I think they're going to call both seven. So I think the okay. CPUs are going to be seventh generation and the GPUs, and mm-hmm. they're doing that on purpose. Okay. They they they're going to do the seven because seven is a very it's a lucky number. And we're going to deal with Intel and NVIDIA in future podcasts. Of course, NVIDIA is due to release its 4,000 series graphics cards later this year as well, which will go head-to-head with the 7,000 series from from AMD. And Intel is getting into the graphics card game as well, which we'll deal with in the Intel podcast next week. Not not that I am, but yes. You're completely immersed in this world, Gerard. So we've got these three giants in tech, Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA. If you were to, knowing what you know about these companies and where they're positioned competitively, throwing it forward three years... Which of these three companies do you think is going to be the most successful in that period? Hmm. Especially given that Intel has a new leadership now. AMD will most certainly in the server market and high compute platforms. AMD is going to scale massively. So server they still have in the bag because Intel server is very disappointing, their server market. So AMD still pioneers the server market, and they will still dominate that for the next two years. Right. Probably third, but Intel is trying to get Point of Vecchio and all the hyperscalers up and running. At the moment, it's all, here's, here's the piece of paper, and here's a little photo, nothing in reality yet. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see that. NVIDIA, on the other hand, they're still good in the next couple of years, but my problem with NVIDIA is the next 10. Okay. Why is because that? Because if, well... Intel is making GPUs. Yes. Now, the current ones that are coming out this year are going to be mid-range to low-end mainly. Mm-hmm. But my problem is Intel wants NVIDIA out of the OEM market. Okay. You can see this. <laughs> I can tell people now. It's like, you can look at me now. Intel wants to get NVIDIA out of the OEM market. They, they want hate, to they hate them that, that much, do they? It's not hate. It's yeah. we've seen how much money you make. We want that. <laughs> we want your cash, boys. Exactly. Yeah. And there is one thing that NVIDIA kind of seen, but in my opinion, they really up the ante because mm-hmm. it's like kind of like you can see this NVIDIA where they just kind of like, okay, we'll we'll just go up in the higher end. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you go up in the mid range and low end, that's we'll see. Look at NVIDIA; they may be focusing now on the high. Basically, any card below the thirty seventy, in my opinion, NVIDIA doesn't care about. Anything below the 3070, it's like, nah, we don't really care about you. They don't make enough money out of it. It's not enough money, but it's, they don't drive sales. Mm-hmm. 30 series will still mark up most of their sales. Right. But the 3090s and the marketing people push those high-end cards because you use the high-end cards to sell to cheap cards. Because yeah, yeah. unfortunately, most people are a bit dumb that are not like us in the field. Right. So they buy the cheaper cards because, ooh, they've got the fastest card. Right. So, and again, it puts NVIDIA in a position where that's why they pushed AI and all those fields. They went into markets where there is no competition, mm-hmm. which is kind of like smart in one hand, one hand I can say, but mm-hmm. dumb on the other hand because it's like, okay, now what if there's a competitor that comes in and like a, like smash you in the head? Then what? What, you're going to run away? What, what is NVIDIA's plan? What mm-hmm. are they trying to do in the next 10 years? And mm-hmm. that's my key problem because mm-hmm. AMD, they've got a good relationship with OEMs and so forth. So it would be easy for AMD and NVIDIA, NVIDIA and Intel to take those markets, mm-hmm. especially that the fact that a lot of companies don't like dealing with NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that on the NVIDIA one because that's their own little story of where they dug their own grave there. But yeah. that's my main problem with NVIDIA. Is NVIDIA is probably the one that, because they are so high, they are the ones who lose the most. Yes. 
Yes. And that's and that's where I'm because I want Nvidia still to be there. That's my problem. Mm. Nvidia mm -hmm. has some stupidly good talent and they have geniuses working there. Oh yeah. But it's like where where are you going? Is that your market purely just in hyperscalers and AI and you'll just if the GPU market gets too difficult, whatever, you're just gonna drop it and say, eh. Mm. Because that's the kind of vibe I get from Nvidia. It's just like if it's too much effort and nobody wants it, and we'll just drop it and go away. We'll just give up and <laughs> get go to somewhere else. Sounds a bit like it's a bit like Google's product strategy, <laughs> exactly. dropping that's dropping my, products when they don't work. Yeah, exactly. Sort of that's not my problem. And it's like mm. Nvidia isn't that Nvidia doesn't have the amount of intellectual property like Google and all mm. these other companies. So, I can't say. Uh, that's it, my problem with Nvidia. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So isn't this a fascinating chart? I just pulled this up on Yahoo Finance. This shows uh, Intel, uh, uh, AMD, and Nvidia's share prices over the last five years, based to 100 at the start. Now the yellow and light blue lines are uh, AMD is is in yellow here, and uh, this light blue line over here is Nvidia. So that's AMD, that's Nvidia. This purple line right at the bottom that's gone nowhere for five years is Intel. Yeah. Um, just shows you the extent of the trouble that Intel is in, doesn't it? So Intel is well, up 33% over this period, whereas uh, NVIDIA is up 900% and AMD is up 700%. So if you put your money into uh, into Intel, you'd really be kicking yourself. Well, it depends because Intel is it's guaranteed money. They are safe bet. They're not going to go anywhere. They are the also not going to make much money if you're an investor. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, let's look at, let's look at the maximum chart. Let's go to the maximum chart and see what that looks like. Uh, right. Oh, my word. Okay. NVIDIA. Yeah. Intel has been a disastrous investment all going all the way back. Uh, hang it on, depends. Just, because oh, hang, the on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me pull this across. Oh, sorry, yeah. I'm showing the full, full graphic. So that, that line there is, is NVIDIA. Uh, you would have made a 60,000% yeah. return if you'd invested yeah. in 1999. And uh, the other two don't even feature on this list. Basically, right down. Yeah, no, uh, AMD is too recent, mm. and the problem is with Intel. Is Intel has such a big market already. It's yes. difficult for Intel to grow more than what they have, mm. mm -hmm. because it's like they can only lose. Unfortunately, Nvidia is uh, Intel is in that position where they can only lose. There is right. no market for them to go into now, because they are in everything. Yeah, there yeah. is the joke. Intel inside. Intel inside was in everything, like IBM was. Yes. Everything yes. had, and now that's why I thought it was like that's the problem that the stock market isn't really giving you idea of. Intel is huge. Yes. Like, and that's one of my biggest problems with Intel that I had is mm -hmm. Intel when they started up, yeah. were even bigger than what they are now, because Intel was in everything. Yeah, this is now my problem. It's AMD is now turning into we are in everything, mm -hmm. because we're now now that the Earth is islands, we're in space. We in planes, we in boats, we in military, we in we in farming, like literally we in farming. They in cars, so yeah. AMD is now in cars as well. So literally every form of transport that currently exists, AMD is in it now. Is now in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So where Intel was like that in the old days, Intel literally like Intel owned retirement homes <laughs> in the old days. They had medical plants. Yeah. Where it's like, this is Intel medical plans, how to make it more efficient. You can see that engineering going yeah. into, and they dropped all of that. It was like IBM. Yeah. I mean, IBM had the same problem. Yeah. They became but this I would massive. Say, like, I thought it was like, in Intel, that was even worse. They were in housing. They were in business building. Like, and they were like a Samsung now. Yeah. Like yeah. Samsung yeah. makes everything as well now. Like they do boats, they do planes, they do freaking, 
Intel was like that and yeah. Intel lost that. So I would assume if Intel was more like that in, and they kept that more typical engineering forte that they could mm. keep, they would be way better than what they're now. So you could mm. see clear mismanagement on their side completely kind of underhanded them there. You could argue as well, if you get too big like that, it just becomes too difficult to run. Mm. But then you could go like Samsung and become Umbrella Corporation and say, sweet. <laughs> they're all under the same company, but mm. they have their own managers and so forth. Just make it easy internally to buy stock and buy mm. stuff from us internally. It's cheaper to buy from Samsung for Samsung than buying outside. Yeah. So yeah. AMD is now becoming that way. I think AMD is trying to avoid trying to be too big like that. They're trying to be just the backbone. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. saying, leaving themselves up to companies. Because that's now the area where AMD is now trying to... You're seeing Intel trying to like catch up now with the custom designs. Because AMD has a massive custom design. Everybody likes AMD's custom designs. Yeah, That's yeah. why they have so many orders from the military and from aeronautics. And then you've got the console guys buying from them. <laughs> All of those guys are like, oh, it's nice to work with AMD because they actually work with you. Yes, yes. So coming back, to my, coming back to my question, if you were to buy $1,000 in, in uh, one of these three companies today and you were going to keep it in stocks in AMD, NVIDIA, or Intel, and you were going to keep it for, for three years, and I'm going to hold you to this, Sarah, because we're going to come back and do a podcast in three years to see how well you did. Yeah. Uh, uh, which, which one would you pick today? At the moment now, AMD. AMD. AMD okay. is just going to grow more and more. more. Now with Xilinx yeah. acquisition, their market is just going to market cap on what they can buy and what they can sell because they in their server market, they'll just go up now. Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of the advantage now with AMD, now that guys are switching over to AMD servers, mm-hmm. same as Intel. Once you hook them, they're going to stay with you for a couple of years. Yeah. It's not like they're not going to change their server in the next two years. They're going to mm-hmm. change their servers in the next four years. So yeah. if AMD has a customer now, that's a customer for the at least for the next three to four years. They've got that person as a customer. So AMD, whatever AMD's profits now are what they're still going to make next year and the year right. after that because mm-hmm. they're going to still buy AMD CPUs. And then because Intel doesn't have something to compete yet with properly with server yet, AMD is now just going to take off all those servers and that's just easy money. Mm-hmm. You make this, make products, you still sell them. That's why even AMD... A frustrating problem for AMD is AMD could have made more money is if they just had m- more chips to manufacture. Right. And they literally, like, and they bought all the allocation they could. They're starting to compete with Apple with allocation now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's now where you can start seeing, like, Apple, AMD, you can see more and more, more and more of the acquisition pie from TSMC is AMD is buying a lot more capacity mm. over and over and over, and you're going to start seeing them clashing with Apple. Because Apple has a lot more cash, though, because again, yeah. they've got a software company, and software companies make will always make more money than hardware companies. That's just how it's going to be. So AMD is going to fight against that, but again, AMD has way more potential growth areas. And mm-hmm. I think there's where you will see one of the areas with TSMC is they look at AMD as a growing customer. Mm-hmm. They see Apple as a stationary customer. Because Apple will... Oh, yeah, well... How many more chips can Apple Apple sell? True, it's mostly iPhones that they exactly they make for you. So, I they've got no ear to grow. Yeah, they can only sell X amount of Apple chips at a time. They mm-hmm. cannot sell more. AMD can because they can take business from Intel, and Intel yeah. is a competitor to TSMC. Mm. So, TSMC is for them. It would say, okay, let's help Apple AMD because AMD makes us more money. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so, I tell people, it's like you would rather go to where you can where you can mm. grow business. Where yeah. is with Apple, you're not growing business. It's just 
it's the same business. You can just charge them more money because you can give them extra favors. That's why Apple has a massive advantage because they're already sitting at like, I think they're already on the pioneering node of, uh, from TSMC with they four nanometer and yeah. they'll be the first ones on three. I can guarantee you that. Oh yeah. 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 But to that, to show you how aggressive it comes, I could, the, the feeling I have and what I'm <laughs> feeling is I'm starting to see TSMC making a specific note for AMD as well to compete against Intel. So Intel can get notes from them as well, but they're not going to get the notes that AMD can. Mm. So I'll start, I, I'm going to start seeing, I, I will, I'll check it see this year, but I can clearly see. And again, the fact is because AMD is one of those pioneering companies, it's better for you to have AMD because AMD will actively help you to make a better product mm -hmm. because they have a ambition to make better chips and all those other things. Same as Apple, but the problem is Apple doesn't have that engineering finesse that AMD has right. with pioneering. Right. So AMD would go and help them with 3D stacking. AMD is now launching their, what's it, 5800 XT stacking chip now. So mm -hmm. AMD is the first company that actually is using TSMC stacking technology. And that was co-developed by AMD. So they didn't just, AMD didn't just do this on their own. Mm -hmm. Neither did TSMC sit on their asses and not do this. This is yeah. like, we work together to make something that both of us companies can benefit from. And now TSMC it's can take that and sell that to other companies, which they yeah. then go, okay, AMD, you helped us, we help you. So AMD on the ascendancy in the coming years, but Intel can never be uh, discounted. They no, are a very no. Intel, yeah, Intel in, in the next, I would say now that Pat's in the, in the races, I would say probably in the, the desktop market, it's going to yeah. be very aggressive. So mm. our consumer market, mm -hmm. we're going to have it now where one year AMD, one year Intel, one year AMD, one year Intel. We're going to see that happening. Pa, 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 pa. So I think in the consumer market, market, we're going to start seeing stupid, like on at least, I think the next gen AMD chip, the one that's launching this year will probably at least be like 30% faster per core. Wow. Wow. And that's and pricing even, will be good too. Well, that has to be aggressive compared mm -hmm. to Intel. You see, that's yeah. now the advantage of having Intel's there and Intel's pricing is very stable because they're so big. So that's yeah. Intel's big advantage. Just because they're yeah. so big, for them to manufacture something is, once they start manufacturing, it's easy. Problem is because you're so b big, it's difficult Getting to made. do, it's b difficult to make niche products when you're that big. So AMD yeah. has that advantage where they can make niche products and they can now start scaling mm -hmm. with certain products. So we'll see AMD is now reliant on TSMC just to up the output capacity and you can see them spending stupid amount of money to get that done and so forth. So AMD has a lot more areas to grow. Nvidia, my problem with Nvidia is there's a lot of hype. Yeah. I would say they're one of the, like, like, like the Tesla stock. They, okay. like the, they, like, they remind me of crypto boys and so forth where it's like, yeah, just buy their stock. Yeah, yeah. And then just, stock just artificially goes up because everybody goes, yeah. But nobody really goes and says, okay, but how, how much IP do they have? How good is this thing actually? So, uh, 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 when you look at it, it's like, I tell you, it's like, how can Nvidia stock be more than Intel? Mm -hmm. Intel has more IP. If Intel goes bankrupt, they're worth stupid money. If yeah. Nvidia goes bankrupt, how much are they worth? How much is their intellectual property worth, really? Mm -hmm. They do GPUs. Mm -hmm. And what else well, do they do? Uh, they do a lot of stuff in data center now. Well, it, exactly. It's all based on GPU. Yeah. They went yeah. and said, let's put GPU into everything, mm -hmm. which is a good marketing thing because you're good at making GPUs. Problem <laughs> is, you're over reliant on making GPUs then. 
<laughs> because even their networking stuff is based off GPUs. Yeah. That's why they wanted to buy ARM because they kind of yeah. knew, uh, guys, uh, w- w- what happens if somebody like completely out engineers us in GPUs? Then what? Mm, mm, mm. Then they reliant on the software. And yeah, well, Nvidia is not the best of the best software companies in the world. They are good. Yeah. Please be understand. It's like they have a very freaking lucrative market there with CUDA with their software there. Sure. But if they lose that, like what happened with the recent hack with Nvidia, what and Intel is CUDA's, coming for them. Well, Intel is coming for them. But what what happens if the source code for CUDA leaks, and somebody can, the Chinese. Mm-hmm. can re-engineer that and say, sweet, we'll make this thing that you, who's going to go and sue a Chinese company? That's my problem is NVIDIA's, they've got too many eggs in one basket. They're vulnerable, yeah. yeah That's yeah. my problem with NVIDIA. It's like, yes, they are a good company, all those things, but it's like, yeah, it's a pity the whole thing didn't go through for them. I think there's a lot of companies saying, thank fudge that they didn't. Because a lot of the, a lot of those companies would have really like an, thrown I, I, all yeah. kinds of toys out of the cot if that happened. Yeah, it, would, but it was Nvidia always unlikely. Mm. Nvidia kind of felt like they were pushed in the corner to do that because where else do they have to go? So what does what does Jensen Wong do next? Well, let, let's let's leave that for the for the Nvidia yes, podcast. Yes, no, no, we'll, we'll, because we we're can gonna, leave that for later. We we are over an hour, so I'm, I'm conscious of time. I think let's wrap yeah. this podcast here. It's been fascinating. Before we go into episode three of AMD, I think we do need to. We do need to tackle Intel next time, and that, yeah. that I think is do also Intel going to be a, two, a two-parter episode. Um, yes. So uh, there's a lot to cover on Intel. We've covered a lot of it in the first two episodes on AMD, but uh, there's a lot more to well, delve they, into, of course. They are mutually, they are they exclusive, are. but they are joined by the hip, but their heads are, and their hands are fighting one another. <laughs> so it's Like some alien be, beast. Yes, well, it's it's one of those things where it's like, if you can, you can look at it like, oh, what if, because again, by the time Invi- AMD wanted to buy ATI, yeah. AMD could have bought NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. How mm. would the future be now if AMD bought NVIDIA now? <laughs> it would be a very different world to live in if NVIDIA and AMD actually merged back then mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Jensen took over AMD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that is the future I would actually want to see and see what would have happened if Jensen was in charge of AMD now, back yeah. then. How yeah. things would have changed like yeah. that, that, that would have been a very amazing, wouldn't have happened. Mm. It's like, he's, he's too arrogant for that to happen. But, uh, that's a, that's a, a parable, uh, a parable world that I would, would like to, <laughs> to go back look and, at and see mm. what happened in that universe in that timeline, if that actually happened. <laughs> fascinating stuff. As always, uh, it's fascinating chatting to you. It's been a pleasure. Um, we've covered AMD yeah. now. We could have carried on yes. for a third podcast on AMD, but we're not going to do that. But uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to yeah. delve into Intel next time, and, and probably stretch that over two episodes as well. Just as we said, there is so much to cover before we get on to who is our third uh, topic. I think it's Nvidia actually. Um, yeah, we can com- do. companies are so interlinked, and then uh, and then we're going to do Apple. Uh, yeah, so, Apple, uh, lots and then, lots to talk about still. Yeah, and we can do an episode of the future of all of them all together. Yeah, yeah like we can yeah. kind of do now and say where are they going. But we can do that later when we get closer to the launches of those chips. Then it's Absolutely. easier to speculate and so forth. When Absolutely. And there's so much more to talk about in the PC industry. I think we, we're going yeah. to end up doing many series of this uh, of this particular podcast, Everything PC. Um, we won't only focus on silicon. We'll look at uh, we'll look at other issues as well. We'll look, yeah, at, software. we'll look at Windows versus Mac OS, for example. Yes, and, uh, Microsoft and mm. Office. And Microsoft. 
fascinating discussion on its own. Yes, so, no. so much to talk about. I'm really looking forward to the rest of uh, yes, not no. only this uh, series, but uh, all of these podcasts. Uh, so thank you for joining us. And if you're not subscribed, please do so. We do go out on uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, we actually haven't released any of these shows yet, but there will be a YouTube channel. We'll also push it out over Tech Central's YouTube channel as well. But do get do get subscribed up because we'll only do that for the first few episodes. Do get subscribed up to the Everything uh, PC YouTube channel. We'll share all of the details on Tech Central regarding how to subscribe to that. And we'll also, of course, be available in your favorite podcast, uh, podcasting application, including Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, and all the rest of them. Just search for everything PC, two words, and you should uh, you should find us. We'll also uh, include all the details of the podcast on Tech Central's website. Um, so uh, get subscribed if you've got any feedback. Uh, we really should create a, a joint uh, email, a shared email address for this uh, for this podcast. But at the moment, we uh, don't haven't done that yet. Let's do it for our next episode, uh, Gerard. Yeah. If you want to mail us in the interim. Uh, Gerard works at a, a, com- a computer store, a, a computer retail outfit in uh, Midrand called Computers Only. Uh, if you're looking for a, if you want him to build a computer for you, he'll do it with uh, great pleasure. Yes. Uh, or if you just want to chat to him, uh, his email address is Gerard P. That's with an H, Gerard P at uh, computersonly.co.za. Or you can mail myself or mail both of us, uh, Duncan at techcentral.ca.za uh, we'd love to hear from you give us some feedback on the show what would you like to like us to cover in future episodes uh, we look forward yes. to having some guests on the show at some point as, as well we've got a few uh, names uh, in mind and uh, we'll uh, look forward not necessarily in season one but uh, we'll definitely have some guests on yeah. uh, in future seasons of the podcast and um, uh, so it'll, it won't be just us two uh, talking all the time we'll have some uh, expert insights and maybe we'll even get some experts from these companies themselves uh, onto the show at some point too uh, to give their viewpoints. Uh, who knows, uh, Gerard, maybe we'll have Jensen on the podcast at some point yes, to, re- yeah, well. to rebut your criticism. <laughs> you never know. Uh, well, he'll be bullish enough to answer some of them at least then. I'm sure he will. I mean, he's, he's, he's combative and I think he'd... Uh, yeah, I know. That's why. I, I, think, I, think uh, I think he'd welcome the opportunity. So uh, hopefully at some point we'll, uh, we, we, might, we might pull, off, uh, pull that off. America won. <laughs> we'll pull off a Jensen. Take a. We'll pull off a Jensen, get, and maybe take, we'll get, get Lisa on at the same time. Oh, well, you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, until next time, until episode three, when we unpack everything Intel, and I'm really looking forward to that discussion from Gerard yes. myself. Have a great time and happy computing.